Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 501. This is the weekly podcast about slow flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free online directory to more than 850 florists, shops, and studios who design with local, seasonal, and sustainable flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor for 2021, Farm Girl Flowers. Farm Girl Flowers delivers iconic burlap-wrapped bouquets and lush, abundant arrangements to customers across the U.S., supporting more than 20 U.S. flower farms by purchasing more than $9 million of U.S.-grown fresh and seasonal flowers and foliage annually and providing competitive salaries and benefits to 240 team members based in Watsonville, California, and Miami, Florida. Discover more at farmgirlflowers.com. For each podcast episode this year, we also want to thank three of our major sponsors. Our first thanks goes to Rooted Farmers. Rooted Farmers works exclusively with local growers to put the highest quality specialty cut flowers in floral customers' hands. When you partner with Rooted Farmers, you are investing in your community and you can expect a commitment to excellence in return. Learn more at rootedfarmers.com. Today, I have a very special episode for you and I'm thrilled to share it. Please meet the three siblings who together are called the Wild Mother, Leah Palmer, Lauren Palmer, and Callie Palmer. They are based in Oklahoma City and they call their enterprise a creative studio which encompasses their tagline, More Than Just Flowers. Here's a bit of an introduction adapted from their website's About page. The Wild Mother Creative Studio is owned by Afro-Indigenous sisters and floral artists Lauren Palmer and Leah Palmer, located in the heart of the Arts District in downtown Oklahoma City. Their love and honor of culture, storytelling, and their affinity for natural elements and color theory lend themselves to producing their floral stories. It's an added bonus that they get to work alongside their younger sister, Callie. The Wild Mother's offerings include full-service wedding and event floral, curbside carryout floral for large-scale events, and holiday floral offerings. The Wild Mother has positioned their entire business as a legacy project, using flowers and floral installations to heal their lineage forwards and backwards, to send honor to their ancestors whose experiences in America were tragic, and to build a world for their future descendants that is more beautiful, more equitable, and more just. I first learned about the Wild Mother from Susan McCleary, who encouraged me to attend a free webinar hosted by the Wild Mother at the beginning of this year. It was called More Than Just Flowers and was outlined as a panel discussion for creatives on building affirming, equitable, and just brands. Moderated by Leah and Lauren with help from Callie, the session covered meaningful representation in the wedding and creative industry, 
a discussion of exploitation versus appreciation, goals for building an anti-racist brand, and considerations for BIPOC clients. A number of floral community voices participated, including Sue McCleary and Kristen Griffith Vanderyacht, who you've met here on the Slow Flowers podcast. Other panelists included a number of people from related disciplines, such as event planning, marketing and branding, and fine art curation. It was a powerful gathering with honest and open dialogue designed to inspire and challenge attendees who want to be intentional and and inclusive with the way they show up in the world. I've shared the replay video of that webinar, which you can find in the show notes today for episode 501 at deborahprinzing.com. Next, the Wild Mother launched The Lay of the Land, an online course for creatives interested in digging deeper in the topic of building an affirming, equitable, and just brand. Sign up is ongoing to this course, and I'll share the link to The Lay of the Land in our show notes as well. I encourage you to check it out. I'm eager for you to meet Leah, Lauren, and Callie. One of the reasons I asked them to join me today was to introduce their upcoming project called Send Flowers to Greenwood. This is an ambitious series of floral installations that will commemorate the Greenwood Massacre of 1921. Oklahomans and the rest of the country are only now beginning to acknowledge what took place 100 years ago in Tulsa, when the vibrant, successful Black-owned Greenwood District, known as Black Wall Street, was destroyed and many of the people who live there lost. They lost their homes, their businesses, and their lives due to an attack by Klan members and others who wanted to eliminate the existence of brown and black people in their city. Here we are 100 years later, and at the end of May, the Wild Mothers Project called Send Flowers to Greenwood will be both a virtual and physical outpouring of love, light, and life for Greenwood Tulsa and the descendants of victims of the Greenwood Massacre of 1921. I'll share photos, social media links, and more details to all the resources we'll discuss in today's show notes for episode 501 at deborahprinzing.com. For now, I just want to jump in and get started. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers podcast with Deborah Prinzing and I am so honored today to welcome the three women behind The Wild Mother. And uh, if you follow them on Instagram, you already know them, but I want to please welcome and thank for jo- thanks for joining me, uh, Lauren Palmer. Hi, Lauren. Hi, how are you? I'm great. And Callie Palmer. Hi, Callie. Hi. And Leah Palmer. Hi, Leah. Hi. So great to to be uh, virtual. We can see each other on the screen. And um, I'm just delighted to learn more about The Wild Mother, all that you're doing, and also um, share some exciting programs and opportunities that listeners can have to support some of your um, new upcoming uh, projects uh, for the community and as artists. So uh, first of all, who wants to give me a, like a snapshot of the wild mother and, and put, put yourselves on the map. Where are you located and what is the profile of your business? Yeah. Um, so the wild mother is located in Oklahoma city, Oklahoma. We are, um, on Kickapoo, Osage, Wichita and Comanche land. Um, also known as the arts district. <laughs> Um, in in we, Oklahoma City, in downtown Oklahoma okay, City. Okay, great. Uh-huh. 
Um, the Wild Mother is a event florist. We um, do lots of weddings and events in Oklahoma City, um, in Tulsa, and some in Texas, and really anywhere um, that people want the Wild Mother, we are <laughs> willing to go. Mm. Um, we are multidisciplinary artists, so floral design is not our only medium, but it's the one that we project um, the most um, for um, the public. So yeah, we're, we're just super grateful artists. Yeah, oh, that's great. And that was Lauren, by the way, you're going to start hearing their voices and differentiating, differentiating each other. Um, so when you started the wild mother, uh, was it, was it Laura, Lauren and Leah together that you guys originally, uh, established the business and is that right? Yeah, that's how it started. We were in college together. Um, and, you know, as you get to your final years, you start to think about what's next. And we were having lots of really grandiose conversations about what we could do, knowing that, you know, Lauren and I have always been a really good team together. Um, so we started shaping this idea of, you know, we're a business where we could work for ourselves or we could be creative and express um, in, a, in a way that was like a wide range that's why we call ourselves a creative studio so that we can explore all kinds of, you know, art in our work. Um, and then just as sisters do shortly after those conversations, Callie started <laughs> joining in and, um, and adding to the discussions. So yeah. before we knew it, we were serving clients with flowers, just our friends from college who were getting married. And that's sort of the beginning. Wow. When yeah. was that? Uh, when did you actually open the doors of the Wild Mother, Leah? 2013, we served our first client. Wow. Um, we were working out of our parents' kitchen <laughs> and, um, you know, learning a whole lot. And then now we have a studio that we opened in 2019. Um, yeah, that wow. we can now serve from like a curated space, which is so nice. So, well, you said you're in the arts district. So are you, uh, I know because of COVID, you're probably not now, but when you started, had you intended to be uh, a retail space or like a, you know, or is it more by appointment only? Um, I don't know. One of you can jump in and sort of explain how, how that's all working. Uh, of course, it's been a disruptive couple of years. Yeah, it started um, with some retail aspirations, but I think, really quickly in like trying that we realized how much we like the, the slow thoughtful process of events. Um, and then we, we switched over to by appointment, I think within the first few months, mm -hmm. we were like, this isn't us. No, uh, I understand that. Like you have all the, all these personal projects you want to do and, and that's a different framework than the grind of retail. Right. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Every once in a while, seasonally, we'll offer some things that people can pre-order from us for like Valentine's Day or Mother's Day. But um, yeah, we don't dabble into retail very much. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, well, I love the idea of the creative studio. What are some of the range of projects that you have done as installa in, you know, installations or events um, where flowers have you know been part of it? Obviously, you said you did a lot of weddings, so maybe that was paying the bills for most of the early years. Yeah. yeah, we have taken on 
um, projects that will um, will pull in artists, other floral designers to like. Um, there's there's a really big event that we did um, where we built an indoor garden, and we'll do um, yeah, lots of lots of little things here and there. Mm-hmm. Really, in the past couple of years, we have been um, just processing how we can thoughtfully um, show up as creatives in our community, not just in Oklahoma City, but the the community at large and the art community. Um, So uh, for us, that looks like um, a marriage between art and activism. And um, we have done some research on um, how artists, some of them are our heroes, our professional heroes, um, how they have um, reflected to the world um, what is happening around um, the community and what's actually going on. Um, so we have, um, you know, there were some slight little pivots in there. Like Leah mentioned, retail was one. We had to pivot away from retail um, so that we could really put um, time and effort and and honestly protect our energy for some of these like larger um, projects that we are um, or have worked on and are in the midst of working on. So, um, yeah, we flowers flowers are a beautiful vehicle toward activism. We're learning. Yeah, I think you're right, and I think that um, somehow they're it's it's a their flowers make it feel safe and approachable for many people who maybe are um, not. Well educated about a topic, or who are you know maybe fearful, or just you know it's a brand new topic for them, and flowers are the the the, the gate that they can walk through maybe to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. So when when Lauren and Leah started the Wild Mother, Callie, were you in, still in school, or like how did you uh, get pulled in uh, as as Leah said <laughs> to to be part of this this collaboration? Well, it. Yes, I was in school. I'm still in school. Um, I go to university in Edmond. Um, I think I was in 2013. I was still in high school. So that was, I think I was maybe a sophomore in high school at the time. And um, we usually do a lot of things together. And um, Frank, like to be frank, I did step in because I was like, I just want to be around my sisters. Oh, you know, that's so I mean? neat. And um, but over time, we had some really serious conversations about, um, do you really want this? Do you really want to be a part of this? This is a business, and um, it's not just us playing in flowers. It's not just a little hobby. Um, it takes a lot, a lot of hard work. Um, and I contemplated for a while. And, um, I made the decision that, yes, I want to be a part of it, but I need to be in school. And so I feel like now I found a really good balance between school and, um, working for them. So that way I can like have my cake and eat it too. So, uh, <laughs> yes. What are you studying? Business management. Mm, watch mm-hmm. out Leah and Lauren. She's going to come in and be the CEO soon. <laughs> 
gladly have it. <laughs> it's all hers. <laughs> I uh, told Lauren and Leah that I can handle all of the Excel sheets. Like, give me all the numbers. I got it. Yeah. Like, and then they I, can be free to be artists. And <laughs> yes. Yeah. But, yeah. but you obviously know how to make a bridal bouquet too. You're not getting off the hook on that, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, not at all. I have to participate in design. I'm sure. so curious about your path to flowers though. Um, when uh, Lauren and Leah, you said that you were in, uh, about maybe about Callie's age when you were starting to think about what to do after college, were you in fine arts or were, what were your, what were you intending to do when you grew up? What was, what was that uh, first idea and how did it, meld into flowers. You want to answer that, Lauren? Yeah, you go. Yeah, I um, started studying music um, as a toddler. <laughs> um, our parents put me in a music theory class when I was three, and then piano lessons at four. So I, I um, was actively like in a piano studio until I was about 22 years old. And um, so my path was very much um, geared toward music and specifically um, performance and then a little education. I had my own piano studio and my own like students and um, that was fun and life-giving um, and I miss it sometimes. Um, and looking back at how old my students are now, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I can't, I can't even like some of these kids are like in high school now and it's just, I don't know, kind of weird to think about, but, um, anyway, yeah, I, my path was, um, and, and had been for so long geared toward music and, um, and then in, in university, I just was feeling kind of, um, I don't know, a little fatigued. And I think a lot of the a lot of it had to do with where I was. Um, the university that that I graduated from um, had a really, um, was known for the music uh, department or college, um, but I was having a hard time finding my place in that college. Um, so I had to fill some hours um, and found an anthropology class, Anthropology 101. And from there, it was my junior year, I like pivoted completely away from music. I finished my music credits, sure. but pursued anthropology instead. And um, I don't know, I looking back, I think this rhythm of like um, having um, art and then also like, um, history and understanding people and understanding like, um, I don't know, like our value systems as people, um, has always been really significant. So, um, yeah, yeah. Art has always been a foundation and, um, and so have people. Yeah. I love that blend. Yeah. And I bet you have a great playlist when you're in the studio working that you get to curate, right? Yes. It's the best. Yeah. <laughs> Lauren makes the best playlist. She really does. <laughs> I was listening to one this morning while I was doing my hair. I was like, she's just so good at this. Ooh, I want the playlist. <laughs> I want the wild mother playlist. That would be really fun. All right. That's a challenge yeah. to you. Uh, so when Lauren was studying music and music performance and music education, Leah, were you at the same college or were you uh, at a different university? We were at the same university, Oklahoma Baptist. Um, 
university and I was studying literature. Mm. Um, so a lot of those like same studies of people, history, narrative, um, I think you can see all of those threads sort of woven throughout the business now in a subtle way. But um, yeah, we, it was nice when Lauren went to anthropology classes because we found ourselves talking about a lot of the same things. Uh, do you do most of the writing on the website for the wild mother? Yeah, I think that's a shared task. I, a lot of the time I'll lay the foundation for whatever might be written and then we all go in together and, um, fix it up. But there have definitely been um, things that we've written in an absolutely collaborative way. Um, so the baton gets passed, you know, for whoever's taking the lead. Oh, that's, I mean, what a relief. I mean, so many people go their whole lives working as solopreneurs, and they think that that's the right solution. But just personally, um, I know from my experience, when you have the right partner, and someone you trust implicitly, it just takes the burden off of having to be the one all the time to either make the decisions or, you know, be the front woman, or it sounds like you're all able to kind of help each other when you're up or when you're down or when you need a break, someone's there to kind of, like you said, pass the baton. Totally. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You all answered in unison and you're all nodding. (laughs) Well, you know, when I mentioned uh, how much I love the, the writing on, on your website, I also love the graphics and just the whole branding. And I know that's kind of like a, just a cliche throwaway word, but there is definitely a wild mother aesthetic and spirit uh, communicated visually and verbally on your site. And could, could you talk a little bit about how you developed that? And did that happen day one or did it evolve? Cause it's, it's just, I, I hope that our listeners check it out. Cause it's, it's just beautiful uh, in terms of a cohesive message about who you are. The Wild Mother aesthetic um, is, um, it feels alive for us. Um, It's always growing. Um, We, from day one, um, we worked with a designer, um, Hannah Ashford in Oklahoma City. She's a brilliant designer. Um, And we, so she branded us back in 2015. And then we went through a rebranding process with Hannah in 2019 or 2018. And um, we were able to see the original brand grow, kind of mature a little bit. Um, we So going into that process, we talked with Hannah about um, some things that were non-negotiables for us in what we projected. Um, so every bit of what you see the the language like we were talking um, about you know some of the things that Lee has written and then um, the colors and the the hand drawings all of it um, has um, symbolism or meaning so like all of the colors in our palette are named things like um, there's a yellow and it's named Sunny because that's one of our granddad's nicknames. Um, there's that that um, terracotta color um, that is like central to our brand is representative of Oklahoma. The dirt here is red, and um, yeah, it it feels like home when we come mm. back into Oklahoma on a plane. You can see the red dirt um, mm-hmm. from the from the sky. I don't know. Every everything is like intentional and. 
um, the second go round, we knew that um, we wanted to be unapologetic about all of these details that make up the wild mother. And those details are really just familial history and our sisterhood and um yeah being honest about it has felt so like a I don't know I love it yeah um the typography is also really cool and I don't know much about type but I, I it's nice when you see type that is um pretty iconic and you hasn't been showing up everywhere and like in a, you know, all the templates that are existing that everybody can use on, you know, Squarespace, this is unique to you. And um, I'm sure it's used elsewhere, but I, at least in the floral space, it's really distinctive. So, and I know there's a couple different fonts, but I love, I love that too. And the line drawings, who's doing the line drawings? Yes. She's one of my best friends, um, Lauren Miller Freeman. She's in Oklahoma city. She's actually um a multidisciplinary artist as well she does some tattoo design and she um is a brilliant painter and um yeah she she has been able to speak into a lot of different projects of ours over the years but um she I don't know I, I love how Lauren is an empathetic listener and she's an empathetic artist so mm-hmm. she listens super well and translates it in a way that I don't know I could never try to you know create for myself well she yeah and isn't it great that you you trusted her enough to put that into her hands um I love it well what what is the meaning behind the wild mother because who can tell me that story because I'm always intrigued by people's business names and um I just know that there's a story story there with that beautiful name you want to talk about that Leah yes yeah um so sometimes people will say, like, is your mom, is your mom wild, <laughs> you know, or are you guys wild? <laughs> um, and I, I mean, that's not the heart behind it. I get, I get everyone asking that though. We use that name because it's this perfect paradox and tension um, that we see in the natural world and in the divine. So mm-hmm. you have something like nature that is nurturing and beautiful and and soft and welcoming and at the same times can be terrifying and intense um and so early on when we were trying to figure out how we were going to what would be um our design aesthetic even as florists we talked about holding those tensions um, making sure that in every arrangement there's something that was really beautiful and welcoming. Um, but then there was always like a jagged edge or something that was textural next to it. So that's where that comes from. And as we get older as business and as women too, the name just, it's like a fine wine. Like it just keeps getting more robust and beautiful Mm -hmm. for me. Um, so I'm glad that we chose something a little, a little different. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's great. I love it. And you're right. It's like nature is both um, comforting and frightening. So there's a little bit of that in your aesthetic too. Mm-hmm. You you write about legacy on your website, and I really respect the part about like looking, you know, healing backwards uh, to your ancestors and paying it forward to. 
um, future generations and then also nurturing your present uh, spirit. And um, I hope I characterized that correctly. I just was really moved by that uh, idea of um, artists as, back to what Lauren said, artists as, as activists and, and making having a purpose for what you're doing. And I feel like the wild mother is creating beautiful floral art, but that's just one facet of your purpose. Mm -hmm. Uh, You want to talk a little bit about that, Uh, Lauren or Callie, either one of you can jump in. Um, Yes. Our, um, our, the legacy that we inherited um, is very much a birthright, but with that comes like, great responsibility. And um, so while we are here in the present, we also hold honor for our ancestors behind us who um, laid ground for um, what we're harvesting right now. Um, And then in that same posture, we're also like um, aware that we're becoming ancestors god willing um so we yeah it's it's special to think about um those men and women who are our mothers and fathers and um yeah all all that they um all that they had to like endure and all that they carried with them um so that we could be mm-hmm. um, yeah I I feel and I think I can speak for my sisters um I feel that the I don't know the honor is the honor of like being their daughters um and then hopefully being someone's mother mm-hmm. they is just so humbling um mm-hmm. so yeah I we do a lot of um, research in who those folks are. Um, we believe that um, our origins predated our birth. Um, so we have learned names and places and they've become characters mm-hmm. in, in our story. And um, it really puts things into context. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 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 But when you, even when you talk about like, you know, that's, that's us and our lineage, but there's this other thing we're stepping into that is a collective story, Mm -hmm. um, and a shared history. And so when you're marrying art and activism, um, I, I think back to some of my favorite, um, moments where messaging was so strong in, in hoping to shift a culture Mm-hmm. Um, and most of the time that came through, you know, beautifully written words from an artist mm-hmm. or painting or performance, um, film and music. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, using our medium as florists, I, I think it only makes sense that we would make sure that the messages that we are like putting out there are, um, we have a phrase we use more than just flowers. Yes. And that, yeah, the things we're doing have like meaning beyond, you know, someone's wedding. Or yes. That's so it's, it just has a soulfulness to it that um, it strikes a chord with me. And I think it must with, with your either clients or collaborators, or as you said, the broader community, because mm-hmm. you're, 
you're not cookie cutter florists. You're doing your own thing and you've created your own distinct place in, in, in Oklahoma and now beyond because you're reaching to people um, everywhere. And I guess we should sh- shift gears here and just talk a little bit about the fact that you've been doing some, uh, I guess, mostly online coaching around topics of uh, equity and, and justice and inclusion um, for creatives. And are you still, is that series still going on? And um, can people register for it on a rolling basis? Or do you only offer this once a year? It's always open. Okay. Um, we have a course called Lay of the Land, and um, it does. It teaches people how to build um, affirming, equitable, and just brands. And we take a deep dive. And, you know, as, as Afro-Indigenous women, we're sharing a lot of our personal experiences interacting with brands, but also being business owners um, and trying to share um, and a, a message that there's a, a mutual responsibility we all have to take care of our communities as business owners. Um, so it is always open um, to register. And within the course, you can um, you can sign up for a one-on-one consultation with us just to go through the, the details of maybe your own personal questions or needs. Um, but we've been doing anti-racism education and um, DEI trainings for a few years now. And wow. for the first time this year, we started really gearing those towards creatives um, oh. and really taking, taking on this idea that art can be powerful in, in movements and in changing culture. So you were doing this consulting in just like in your community of, of other just small businesses or, or maybe larger businesses, but not specific to floristry or, or, or creative. Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. Yeah. That's, we had a- that's the, the uh, anthropologist and the literary and the businesswoman all coming together to create uh, something that, that could be, you know, imp- empowering the rest of, of other small businesses. It sounds like. Yeah. We, um, so we, we had mentioned this a little bit, um, but in, in 2016, we, um, kind of created this, it started as a side project, um, after some really, um, I don't know, like existential conversations about, um, racism, um, and, I don't know, like racism as like a, an umbrella that contains a bunch of other, like, um, I don't know, just wrong against people, um, in marginalized communities. Um, so to make a really long story short, we, um, created a curriculum called the conversation workshops. And, um, we wrote that curriculum with two, um, colleagues of Leah's from grad school. Um, and we piloted that curriculum at Oklahoma State University and then released it to um, Oklahoma City. And then from there, we have been teaching this curriculum, um, yeah, since, since like 2018, 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we knew that, so that curriculum like lives and, and continues to like serve people. But what we have noticed is that 
the creative small business community has nothing specific to it. Right. And as artists who are creating work and content um, and truly driving culture in a way that no mm-hmm. other um, no other community can, um, we feel that it's so important that um, creatives understand the weight of their own power, mm-hmm. um, the, the power of their own brands. So, um, anyway, so inspiring. That- I love it. So you've, you've kind of had this side project that then influenced the wild yeah. mother and new initiatives then. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. that's great. The lay of the land. Um, I first learned about it. I, when you had a, a webinar, uh, I know Sue McCleary was part of it. Um, uh, Kristen Griffith Vanderyacht, a few people who, you know, I'm, I've had on the podcast before. And so I was really excited to attend that. I think I didn't get in live. I had to watch the replay video. Um, but I was, uh, that was earlier. Was that earlier this year? I, it's yeah. COVID has made everything seem like I know. <laughs> yeah, that was, was great. Insane. Well, let's, we'll share a link to the, just the landing page so people can learn more about the lay of the land and, um, you know, uh, sign up to get notices of, of other projects you're going to do. I specifically wanted to ask you, well, before we run out of time, uh, about your initiative, which is so meaningful and so important to talk about called send flowers to Greenwood and, um, issue a call to listeners of the Soul Flowers podcast to support this. Uh, Soul Flowers has made a small contribution, and I really want to see this um, project get the support it deserves. So uh, where do we start? Uh, it, it, this is coming up at the uh, end of May in Tulsa as a, um, a commemoration of the century or centennial anniversary of the, t- the Tulsa massacres. Is that kind of be the backstory or the context yeah we should tell that history because <clears throat> yeah well even here in Oklahoma the story of, of Black Wall Street in Tulsa and the Greenwood Massacre was completely erased from my education um, even in Oklahoma history classes in high school and then again in college um, and it took really my own research to to really invest in learning that story um, now we're almost 100 years to that day, mm. um, the Black community in Tulsa being just destroyed and burned down at the hands of racism. Um, and I think that people are starting to push the story out of the shadows. So if you don't mind, I'll if I can just tell a little bit. I would what. love it. I would love it. And I was saying to you all before we started recording, uh, my husband is Black. He was born in 1958. And mm-hmm. I... His name is Bruce Brooks. A lot of people have heard me talk about him or met him. And I asked him if he grew up learning about this uh, tragedy. And um, he said, no, he had to go to college to learn about it. So he, he was curious to know, growing up in Oklahoma, if it was taught in the schools. And it sounds like Leah and and Lauren and, and Callie, you all had to sort of educate yourselves about this critical part of Oklahoma history. Yeah. So yeah, give us give us kind of an introduction to what what how how severe this was yeah yeah you're hitting on something big too just in the last couple of weeks it was it became um a part of the core curriculum in oklahoma school so literally just this year oh wow we are beginning to tell this story so the story is that um may 31st 1921 um was sort of the beginning of 
the fall and the destruction of uh, a town in Tulsa that was 40 square blocks of land that Black people recently freed from enslavement built on. And they built big and they built wealth and there were businesses and churches and just, I, I can't even picture how vibrant that community must have been. Um, the records, unfortunately, are still being held, um, like sort of held back, yeah, held private from by the Tulsa, by the city of Tulsa. Um, so we don't exactly know who all was there or what businesses were there. We have oral history that we can rely on, but even some of that is a little, um, you know, well, it's one slant, it's one person's story. Right. So and it's been, and it's been generations. So you, you really lose some of that. You lose a lot. So what happened was leading up to 1921, black people were moving to Oklahoma in hopes of finding, um, a place where they could escape some of the brutality of the American South, um, especially being newly newly freed um, slaves. Right. And um, Oklahoma happened to be this sort of flex space um, where indigenous people were, you know, they had just come out of the Trail of Tears and statehood was really new um, at that time. So it was a good space for you know, freedmen to come. And in they were doing incredible things with their lives here. And I think um, if you listen to oral history, the tone is that there must have been some jealousy from surrounding Tulsans who were white, watching this robust community grow and grow, watching um, land be purchased more and more. And um, that was sort of the the tone leading up to this day in May when a young man, um, Dick Rowland and a woman, um, Sarah Page, he was black, she was white. It's believed that they were lovers, but they were in um, a hotel in downtown Tulsa um, and in an elevator and she uh, screamed out. No one knows why, but that was sort of enough, you know, the straw sure. that broke the camel's back. And um, white mobs by the end of that night were really gathering and amping up and the black men in Greenwood who would have defended the town were just um, sort of overrun by men on the ground, by lack of protection from law enforcement, by planes dropping bombs overhead and in 14 hours those 40 square blocks of Greenwood, the Greenwood district, um, were burned down. Um, today, there's only one structure that still stands. It happens to be a church. Um, and there's one business owner whose family still owns the business and they have stayed in the Greenwood district. Um, but other than that, pretty much everything was destroyed. People um, by the hundreds were killed and um, they became refugees in their own towns. You know, they were living in tents. They were homeless. They were homeless. Mm. Um, many moved away, and um, it's believed that some died of post-traumatic stress disorder afterwards. Um, 
And, you know, what's really sad, kind of going back to what we were saying initially, is that these stories were so covered up almost immediately in the 1921 newspapers. Um, so there was an effort to sort of quiet any outrage that would create backlash for these actions. Um, I'm just so glad that today we get to tell that story and um, and hope in hopes of using truth to heal um, and to move forward. So it's it's just uh, seems like this the 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 year coming up the the 100 years kind of motivated a lot of groups to come together and create this uh, commemorative uh, series of exhibits and concerts and events and is it um, the Tulsa Race Massacre Centennial Commission to memorialize the 1921 Greenwood Massacre is mm-hmm. the um, the organization that has asked the Wild Mother to become the the art the floral artists of all of these events. Is that am I portraying that correctly? Yeah. So we reached out to <clears throat> the 1921 Tulsa Race Massacre Centennial, Centennial Commission um, without any good context um, about how um, how like programming would happen. We just knew that um, that art is medicine. We've we've seen that proven time and time again, and so uh, we we wanted to lend our art um, to that community. So we reached out. Um, they asked for a proposal. Um, just not really sure, like what what that would look like. Um, and I'm sure if you're a floral designer listening. Um, a lot of times people who don't, you know, do our work don't quite understand, um, like the details. So we were able to, you know, lay it out, um, and they, um, confirmed our partnership in February. And then, um, from there we hit the ground running. Um, this entire project is crowdsourced, um, or crowdfunded. So, um, we, and, and that helps us, um, it, it allows us the freedom to be able to do exactly what we're doing with you right now. And that is, um, speak the truth. Um, we don't have to rely on any big donors. Um, we're not, we're not bound to keep certain mm-hmm. things quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is something that's happening to other artists, um, is that they, they may have received funding, um, to like as a commission, um, commissioned project. And because they were speaking too freely about it, um, funding was, you know, pulled away. So anyway, um, yeah, this whole thing, um, is, is it an act in community care? Mm -hmm. And we've been so, um, surprised, but not surprised by the floral industry and how farmers and wholesalers and designers and everything in between um, are really um, putting their, I don't know, putting their efforts towards what they have been saying all along matters to them. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's just really, really special. And it's affirming of 
why I love this industry, you know? Mm-hmm. Wow. And so there's, um, there, we'll, we'll put all these links in the show notes uh, for the Slow Flowers podcast, but there, it looks like there's three specific um, installations that you'll be, um, you'll be art directing and installing. That's kind of redundant. Sorry. Creating. Um, there's, <clears throat> can I just read them? I have them up on the screen. Mm-hmm. May 31st Centennial Commemorative Program located at Ane Oak or One Oak, I don't know, field, and, and that's a podium and stage installation. Then there's a June 2nd Greenwood Rising dedication, uh, which is in the Greenwood District, and that's the entry arrangement and installation. And then Dreamland, again, symphonic performance, um, which is a large-scale garden installation surrounding the orchestra. So I I love that you, um, you know, are thinking big here. These aren't like little boutonnieres for people like you're <laughs> you you have had to submit sketches and and concept uh you know architecture and I mean I'm sure this is just taking over your lives right now <laughs> yeah we are eating and sleeping and breathing greenwood right now um oh, but you know the 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 thing that I have to put into context um I think the reason why our gut response is like let's go big was because um, so many died and were not properly buried or memorialized. And as florists, we all know that one thing that we communicate through flowers is grief and honor and respect um, and laying people to rest well. Um, it's just a human tradition. So um, upon so many not really receiving that care and so many families unable to grieve their lost loved ones, um, we're going to go and lay flowers, um, in that spirit, Mm. but then also to bring so much beauty and life to a space, you know, that truly is when you're there today, there are, there are plots of land where houses were once built that are just empty and vacant. And you see how there's a scar on the land even now. And so to put flowers in that area and to encourage new life there. Um, I think, yeah, of course we would go big. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's really humbling just to be in your presence and, and I, I respect you all so much for doing something incredibly brave and, uh, bigger than what others might've expected a a little floral studio to do. Like you're just really putting your actions where your beliefs are. And I want to support you in that. Um, People who are interested in supporting this, they can, we'll share the link. There's mainly one donation portal. Is that correct? Or can you talk a little bit about the ways people can, you know, get, get on board here? Yeah. So um, there's a GoFundMe. And we are receiving um, donations, small and large and everything in between. Um, The donations go toward um, the flowers um, that are not sponsored by wholesalers and um, farmers. And then also um, the, so we'll have a floral team on the ground. So it's not. It's not just the three of you. You're going to have to deploy a team. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So far, um, our uh, like sweet friends in Tulsa that are 
floral designers, they have jumped in um, to lend their art um, and talent. And then also people um, in Texas and there's a designer that's coming from Michigan and yeah, just, yeah. So many um, people that will be on the ground mm-hmm. um, who will need to be taken care of. So um, some of the donated funds will go toward hospitality things like breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and um, even things like a U-Haul van or truck um, to be able to carry the, you know, the load yeah. um, much bigger than like the, the weddings and stuff like that, that we do. So um Anyway, and then, so that's a really good way to participate. Another is if it's on a monetary, um, like a show of solidarity, um, sharing this information, um, with, along with the correct history, um, is so important to us. Um, when we, when we like tell the truth, we push back on revisionist history and um, so doing that in, in large numbers um, has been, has already proven to be really significant. So um, that's another way. And then um, there's an online outpouring that any and every floral designer can do, novice or professional. Um, so on May 10th, um, from May 10th through June 7th, um, we're um, inviting foil designers to post um, their, like a, a design that is dedicated to Greenwood um, on their Instagram or Facebook or TikTok or whatever you use. Um, and we just ask that you use the hashtag send flowers to Greenwood. There are a few other hashtags. Um, that you can read on our website. There's an FAQ um, section on our web um, that has been helpful so far to some people. Um, But we, yeah, we would love to see floral designers, but also any artists of any medium. We have um, heard from painters and paper designers and musicians and dancers um, who are, joining in and they'll be posting and sharing um, using the hashtag. Yeah. They'll be sending um, their, their art in, in maybe it's, it's a different medium, but it's, it's in the spirit of sending flowers to Greenwood. Yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh. I'm so happy to know about that. And um, I think that, I don't know, just, just the idea that flowers are symbolic of grief, but also of healing is, is just driving a lot of your intent and it, I think it's it's universal, and it seems to be universal in in most cultures that that there's some respect paid to um you know to our lost you know fellow citizens with with something from nature, flowers or plants or food. So it's yeah. it's powerful. Um, oh my gosh, I just wish that I could come see this magnificent series of installations, but you will be documenting this. And sharing it widely, I'm sure. Yeah, yes. we will. And we we hear that the event on the 31st will be televised. I'm not really sure if that's nationally televised, but um, with it being televised, we think that there might be some playback. Um, sure. So as we learn more, we will share um, to our website, um, thewellmother.com slash 
send flowers to. That's a really good place to start. Um, and then we can also update on our Instagram um, pretty frequently too. Oh my gosh, that's great. I am so um, thrilled that I got a chance to talk with you all today and um, just tell your story and put out a challenge to get more uh, members of the Sunflowers community to support what you're doing because you are giving people something and maybe that's why this is so important. It's like a tangible act uh, to, to change the wrong Mm -hmm. history. And, you know, I I appreciate your generosity in sharing that. It's just been beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for allowing us to speak to your, to your crew. It's such an honor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to get you in this crew. (laughs) So watch (laughs) out. (laughs) Um, And maybe we could share some photos of the wild mother and, um, you know, some of your floral art that you've done and also all these resources in our show notes um, at deborahprinzing.com. So we will get that out on the web and uh, I really appreciate this, this time together. Thank you all so much. Thank you. Wow, just wow. I'm so pleased we had this conversation today, and I thank you for joining us. There are so many large and small ways to get involved and support the Wild Mother and the Send Flowers to Greenwood Project, and you can find those details in our show notes. The Wild Mother encourages all of us to post images of flowers on social media from May 10th through June 7th and dedicate that post or those posts with the hashtag Send Flowers to Greenwood. I hope this pure gesture of respect and humanity is something that you decide to participate in. I'm eager to participate. Our next sponsor thanks goes to Mayash Wholesale Florist. Family owned since 1978, Mayash is the premier wedding and event supplier in the U.S. And we're thrilled to partner with them to promote local and domestic flowers, which are sourced from farms large and small around the U.S. Learn more at mayash.com. A couple of other Slow Flowers opportunities are coming right up. On Friday, April 16th, we have a bonus meetup scheduled at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, with Ellen Frost of Local Color Flowers. The topic, domestic flower sourcing strategies when supplies are limited. Considering the current panic around floral availability and product supply chain in the floral industry, Ellen and the Gardener's Workshop are reintroducing their online course called Growing Your Business with Local Flower Sourcing, taught by Ellen. In anticipation, she's joining Slow Flowers this Friday to answer your questions about flower sourcing when supplies are limited. The names of all Slow Flowers members who attend will be entered into a drawing for one free registration to the course. It's valued at $495, and the course begins April 26th. Ellen has added new content to the 2021 curriculum, including a bonus session, What Can We Do Now During This Unprecedented Global Floral Shortage? By the way, if you missed last week's April meetup on sustainable floral design with Toby Nelson and Becky Feesby, you can find the replay video in today's show notes too. And on Earth Day, Thursday, April 22nd, I'll host an interactive Q&A with these two passionate women as part of an Instagram live session about sustainable floristry at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, and that's on Thursday, April 22nd. You're invited to join us there. 
Our final sponsor thanks goes to Johnny Selected Seeds, an employee-owned company that provides our industry the best flower, herb, and vegetable seeds, supplied to farms large and small, and even to backyard cutting gardens like mine. Find the full catalog of flower seeds and bulbs at johnnysseeds.com. Thanks so much for joining us today. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 714,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much as our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of our domestic cut flower industry. The momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support and I invite you to show your thanks to support Slow Flowers ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right at DebraPrinzing.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more Slow Flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging on to iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com. 